Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. In today's podcast, we're taking on another Snakebird profile where we take time to examine a Bible character, their ups, their downs, their decisions or indecisions, their motives, and the outcome of it all and see what we can glean from it through the eyes of a snake bird. So I have to ask, Stephen, who are we profiling today? All right, guys. Today we are looking into the character of Philip. And I've got to be honest here. When I first started doing my research on this guy, I hit the ground running. I mean, I was systematically laying out the facts, where he was from, what he did. And then it hit me. Something wasn't lining up quite right. <laughs> I mean, he was a tetrarch in Rome. He uh, introduced Nathaniel to Jesus, and he had this Gnostic gospel written about him. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wrong dude. Totally wrong <laughs> Philip here. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is the uh, not the apostle Philip. This is the uh, overseer slash evangelist Philip. You know, it's funny that you say that because I kind of encountered the same thing where I was like, wait, this can't be the same person. And then I found out it wasn't because there's Philip the Apostle, Philip the Tetrarch, and Philip the Evangelist is, yeah. Yeah, and then you start looking at history, and it's like, wait, Alexander the Great was his son? He's like, the timeline's just not <laughs> adding like, up wait, here. <laughs> that doesn't match with where Jesus was born. Not Philip of Macedon, for crying out loud. <laughs> anyway, so yes, the overseer slash evangelist, he is, uh, and his name is Philip. Yes, and his name means lover of horses or fond of horses. I thought that's cool. I did not even stumble across that. That is cool. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Well, my last name being Horsey, we might have been good friends. That's why you found it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Oh, man. I I grew a lot um, learning about this Bible character. I knew some things about him, but diving into this profile, I learned so much more just about how he was a great example of being a faithful servant, a man on a mission, a teacher, a follower of Jesus who operated and moved under the authority of God. And then he even disappears from the pages of scripture for a while and he comes back and we find that he has progressed. He hasn't fallen away. And I think there's so much we can glean from his story. Yeah, absolutely. He he has a lot. Um, he has a lot of stuff we can learn from him. I, I almost had a flavor of Apollos as I first started getting started in the study. Yeah, and Philip actually has a lot more that just caught me off guard. So exactly, it's right? Really, it's really cool. It's going to be a great uh, episode, guys. I think you'll like it. Yeah, I love talking about some of these guys because they're maybe a little bit more obscure, but there's a lot that we can pull from. Uh, So I think we should start at the beginning, don't you? Yeah, I think so. And his story, like most good stories, actually begins with a conflict. That is true. That is true. Um, Acts chapter 6, we see um, this scene where a dispute breaks out. Yes. Right. And uh, it's it's at this point that the church, it was growing really rapidly. And like any group that starts accumulating a lot of people... Disputes arise. Yes. And that's what we run into right at the beginning, isn't it? Yeah. And and some people even say that maybe this was Satan trying to just come in and muddy the works and, and everything that's going on. You have so much groundswell and so many people flocking to hear the gospel that you're going to have a little bit of um, things that you're going to have to clarify. 
Yeah. And, you know, as good and life-changing as our Savior is, we humans still have a carnal side, like a spoiled toddler sometimes. Yeah. And so this group of people who were being reborn, although changed, still had baggage from their culture, societal status, just carnal baggage. And it started to play out a little bit, I think. Yeah, I've heard uh, it said that we're all sheep, but sometimes sheep bite. Yeah, I've never been bit by a sheep, but I guess they do, don't they? I have not been bitten by a sheep either, (laughs) but that would be sheep. Yeah, these sheep started to bite. So um, this early group of believers, they were, you know, they were forming the early kingdom. And what kingdoms have to do is take care of the people. Uh, They were sharing in all things, trying to take care of everyone. And what had happened was these Greek Jewish converts were feeling... I guess you could say left out, uh, considered less worthy because their widows were being overlooked in food distribution. Is that right, Josh? That's right. You've got two groups. You have the Hebrews, who are the Jewish natives, and they are becoming Christians. And then you also have the Hellenists, who are Greek-speaking Christians, who are Jewish as well, but they're considered more of your fringe. They're, the Jews are more inclined to embrace Jewish culture and were mostly from Judea, but the Hellenists were more inclined to embrace Greek culture and were mostly from all around the Roman Empire. Yeah, I think a lot of times when I'm reading, I, I kind of don't consider all of these these social barriers between people groups and stuff. So naturally they just existed before. You think they're in a place, they're all people. Yeah. They're they're Christians (laughs) like the ones at my church. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is that the Jews regarded the Hellenists as unspiritual compromisers because of their embracing nature of Greek culture. Yeah. Whereas the Hellenists viewed the Hebrews as holier than thou uppity traditionalists who treated everyone as less than themselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, it didn't just stop at these. Here in a little bit, we're going to go into the same thing with the Samaritans. Exactly. We'll get there in a minute. But, yeah, yeah, there's this conflict of cultures, you might say. Yeah. And um, so what happens next, Josh? Well, what happens next is they start complaining. And and it it becomes such a thing that it gets to the apostles who are trying to lead the church. Mm -hmm. And they come to them and and they're bold-faced just saying, hey, this is not working out. And um, all of a sudden, the apostles and the disciples say that we need a fix for this. And this is the quote that they say. It says, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, let us seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Yeah. And this wasn't this wasn't the apostles saying we're too good to, <laughs> to give y'all food and clean tables and stuff. This you know they were called to a certain purpose. Yeah, and so they needed to be faithful to that calling, and um, they needed seven men to do the same in theirs. Yeah, the, that's what I love about this is, um, I mean we've we've come across it a lot of times where anybody who is too um, proud to serve tables probably doesn't need to be in a position of leadership. Mm-hmm. But this isn't about unwillingness. This is about a need to grow in delegation yeah. and administration. And I think this is a perfect example of why um, bigger churches that know how to do it well succeed. Mm-hmm. Because they say, hey, we're good at administration and we're able to uh, meet the need even when it means changing our strategy. 
Yeah. And we mentioned it before. It's just like Moses had to do with that mass of Israelites. (laughs) It just shows, uh, I think it shows how God entrusts us to make certain executive decisions in the kingdom. Yeah. And think about it. I mean, what you're doing is you're delegating, you're raising up the next generation, you're giving people an opportunity to serve. Uh, I love that saying that says, none of us can do what all of us can do. Yeah. You know, and one person trying to take all that on, like, uh, like you said, Jethro confronted Moses and he's like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You're going to go insane trying to meet the needs of 2 million people on your own. But they come to me for advice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the thing is, is a a good leader has to be able to delegate and give up the things that aren't as important that someone else can do well. That's very true. Because if they, if they try to do it all themselves, that's not a healthy move for them or the the people that are under them. No, exactly. Yeah. And I love the fact that it was like, now we have to pick the seven. The seven. I like it. It's like a good movie title. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's like. It's the number of perfection. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's one of the men that Philip is in this list. Isn't yes. It? Yeah. And I want to say, I thought this was interesting. Somebody pointed out that maybe they chose seven because uh, one different guy could kind of head it up each day of the week. Oh. I never heard that before. And I thought, oh, well, that's, that's an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. I wouldn't surprise me. That makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. So you're in charge of this day. Yeah. You're in charge. You know, I don't know. Yeah, that would work. Seven days, so... <laughs> but there was... There was... Number one on the list was Stephen. Yes. Which we'll find out shortly um, that he became the first martyr in the church. Yeah. And uh, second to Stephen, we are introduced to our man, Philip. That's right. And I didn't note down the rest of them, because oh. we got to Philip. That was our guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you can take the rest. <laughs> okay. Well, there's uh, there's Prochorus. Yes. Whose name I love. Um, his name actually means like the leader of the chorus. Uh, I found that out. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, there's Nicanor. I don't know if that's how you say his name. Timon from the Lion King. Uh, <laughs> Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, who they set before the apostles. And when they prayed, they laid hands on them. Um, just tidbits. Prochorus uh, actually became the secretary or assistant to John, uh, the apostle, and actually served as his successor as the bishop of Nicodemia. Nicodema? Nice. uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was a large and growing church uh, before he was actually martyred himself. Mm. And then Nicholas, according to some church history, it actually, they believe that he was the one that started the sect of the Nicolaitans, who um, we find in Revelation 2 and 3, and he veered into heresy, I guess. Saint Nick did that? Yeah. <laughs> not good. <laughs> not, not Santa Claus, yeah. but yeah, I guess. I, well, yeah. he was a saint, so Saint Nicholas, right? Th- yes, there yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. Um, you know what's interesting about these guys is that uh, one commentator was careful to point out that they all had Greek names, which means they were probably Hellenists themselves. Oh, yeah. And that they thought, sense. you know what? How about we squash the beef that's going on by saying, hey, there's going to be somebody who is in charge of this whole thing that's Greek that's going to make sure that they care for both the Jewish and the Greek widows. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Something noteworthy to me, too, is... Um, You know, these seven men, they were selected by the people. It's not like they were aspiring to be, you know, men of high prestige in this religious organization. The people simply recognized that they were men who were truly living what they believed. Yes. And I just, that speaks a lot. 
Yeah. Because when we fully surrender to God, allowing him to direct our paths, we will often be recognized in a way that God allows us to play a major part in his plans. Yeah. And that's what happened with these guys. Well, funny that you should say that because look at what the, when they are asking for you to choose out from among yourselves, uh, they said seven men of good reputation. And then right here, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Yep. How does that read to you? To me, I see a snake bird. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the balance of it is full of the Holy Spirit, walking in gentleness, and then wisdom, the snake side of it. Yeah. And not, you know, I said that God will will be recognized in in God's plan. Not that we want attention. It's just a natural thing that happens when we're walking close with God. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and on on your point there about being recognized, a lot of times if you were a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, it was actually because you were more in a sense of serving. It's really the servants that get recognized. And and I know um, we've all seen it, especially in modern times where somebody who hails themselves as great is seen as from other people as great. But a lot of times it's the person who is just serving without considering themselves that a lot of people take note of. And they're like, you're the one who's always greeting me at the door. You're the one who's shaking hands. You're the one who's replacing coffee, you know, when it's out at the bar or whatever it is. Yeah, that's so true. It's just a, it's a natural thing that happens when God starts to use somebody. Yeah. And and it looks like, at least for the first two, they raised up the right men. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, because you were talking about Stephen, mm-hmm. who it seems like that's your namesake. <laughs> yes, that is my name. He's my favorite. No, but leading up to Stephen. So um, not long after Philip and the others were selected to be overseers, we see an era of persecution arising by the not yet saved Saul. And um, Stephen is actually stoned to death for clearly preaching Christ with the Jews' own scriptures. And uh, it's quite a scene. I mean, it's very clear Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. Yes. He lays it out, and they they start losing their stuff, and they they stone him. And then Stephen sees the Son of Man. Yeah, they gnashed their teeth at him. Yeah. Because they were cut to the quick, the Bible says. Yeah, in modern terms, they were ticked. Yes. Very. Yeah, they couldn't hold their steez together. Yeah, and that's that's really the um, the event that happened that started um, the scatter of the church, isn't it? It is. And so if you've been following us, uh, we started in Acts 6, where it talks about the raising up of these seven. And then right away, Stephen gets into this conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes. And the rest of six, and then all of seven, he's giving this beautiful sermon and all the way up until the end of seven, and then they stone him. And then we go right into Acts chapter eight, and it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. So it's kind of foreshadowing what's coming with Saul or Paul eventually. But it says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Yeah. This persecution was like a strong wind pushing a wildfire. Yes. And they they dispersed. They went across the land. Yeah. For me, this passage kind of felt like watching a movie and everything's going great, but then there's a battle and they don't really show the battle because they have a limited budget. (laughs) But the (laughs) aftermath is just a smoldering village and people like in, you know, tattered clothes and the heroes are like, what just happened? But typically that's the rallying cry in that movie. And for the church, Stephen's death was the boulder flung into the still waters, sending a ripple effect that has lasted even until now. 
Yeah, it really was. I mean, and you can see all throughout history that persecution grows the church. It does. I mean, we've seen it in China. We've seen it in all sorts of places. So you're right. This is really these these events here. This um, what Saul is doing, Stephen's death. It just it scatters everybody, and um, Philip makes an executive decision of his own, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, and I want to point one thing out that was really cool that I saw about this word scattered, is that there's two different words used in the New Testament for scattered. One uh, in the Greek language is diakoporsio. <laughs> I'm not going to say that right. Okay, <laughs> what that means is to scatter or to waste away. It's the same as like when they went out to separate the wheat from the chaff. They would throw it up in hopes that the heavier wheat would fall back down, but the chaff would just disappear. Okay. So there's that word. And then there's another word, which is diaspero, which means to scatter abroad or to disperse. It's the, it's the, um, the sense of planting or sowing seeds. It's like all of a sudden the apostles became dandelions and somebody just came up and, you know, blew right onto them. And all of a sudden now here they are going out everywhere. And what is a dandelion going to do? Yeah, it's going to it's going to make weeds grow everywhere else that it lands. So uh, so I'm getting a sense of the word that it separates the men from the boys and the true ones just bloom like crazy. Just yeah. spread. Yeah. I mean, and if they had used the other word for scatter, it was like, no, this thing's going to go away and die. Oh, okay. but now okay. it got spread out. So it's the a, second word. Yes, it's the second word. Gotcha. And so it means to spread like a wildfire, basically. Yeah. And that's certainly what happened. Yes. And um so much so that it sent Philip to Samaria? Did I get that right, Josh? <laughs> That's right. I mean, he's not supposed to go there. They don't like the Samaritans. Oh, no, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, he he went to Samaria to preach Jesus as the Messiah. And if you know anything about rivalries in the Bible, then the Jewish-Samaritan squabble was on the top ten list. That's right. Um, this went harder than Hatfield and McCoy's. It was quite the squabble. If I had to compare it to anything in the Bible, another situation, I would say it was um, like the Jews to the Samaritans were like the Pharisees to the Sadducees. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed in one true God, but the Sadducees drifted to a more liberal stance not believing in the resurrection. Well, the Jews were more orthodox while the Samaritans drifted theologically, which we're going to see shortly with uh, Samaritan magic worker. But um, the Jews considered themselves holier than thou toward the Samaritans, which is why it just irked them so much when we discover this petty conflict. One author said this about the Samaritans. The Samaritans often taunted the Jews. They rejected all the Old Testament except the Pentateuch, and they claimed to have an older copy than the Jews and boast that they observed the precepts better. So if anything triggered retaliation for the Jews, it would be this. We got a better copy of your scriptures and we obey them better. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, they, I mean, this conflict was extreme yes. between these people. Yeah, I found some crazy things, too. And I, I didn't even know about their origin. Um, but 600 to 700 years earlier, when the Assyrians had come in and taken Israel captive, mm -hmm. they took out all the wealthy and the middle class Jewish people and they left only the uh, the poorest of them. 
and the lowest class. And then they brought in their own people and started intermarrying with them. Mm. And so it created this half Jewish, half Assyrian Samaritan. Yeah. And I mean, generally speaking, the Jews of that day hated them. They considered them compromising half-breeds who corrupted the worship of the true God. And there was a deep-seated prejudice amounting almost to hatred standing between them. And then James and John, of course, we know as the sons of thunder, uh, once thought that the Samaritans were only good for being burned by God's judgment. Mm-hmm. If you remember that yep. story, they were like, Lord, do you want us to call fire down <laughs> from heaven? <laughs> Shit, we set them aflame? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, they were like, we will consume them with your fire right now if you want us to. And Jesus yeah. is like, what? That's <laughs> so, Yeah. And, you know, for Philip to choose this people to evangelize to is a real statement. I think he was really taking after the uh, example of Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus, he talked to the Samaritan woman. Yes. Which was a devil whammy. Yeah. And um, I, that's that's a real statement that uh, Philip chose to evangelize this people group. Yeah. And coming to this, I wonder if she was still there. I mean, it's only like seven years later. That's true. That's, that's something to ponder, isn't it? It, re- it is. And if there were um, still like kind of effects of Jesus ministry that he'd done there, because uh, yeah. at that time she went back and she said, here's this man that told me everything I've ever done. And they came out to hear him. You know, the whole reason Jesus might have done that was to prepare their hearts for when Philip came later yeah. after he died. Yeah, there's so many stories in this that make me think of the whole, well, this person um, sowed the seed and then this person watered and exactly. then this person reaped the harvest. So true. Yeah, and I just, I love that in Philip's heart, there's no place for prejudice or racism. Yeah. And he didn't hate on them. He said, there's a people that need to hear the gospel. I'm going to go out to them. Yeah. It showed God's heart toward all people and it showed the loving and obedient heart of Philip too. Yeah. And look what happened. They came in droves, right? Yes. Yeah. In Acts uh, 8, 5, we see that Philip started preaching to these Samaritans um, what they believed was someday going to come anyway with the Christ. They did believe in a Messiah. Yeah. And uh, the really cool thing is in verse 6 and 8, it says, The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was being said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them and shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and the lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Yeah. So, I mean, this ancient conflict between two groups that hated each other was completely crushed when Christ was truly received. And that's what Jesus does. Exactly. In new creation. Yes. So it is an amazing thing that started off here in Samaria. Yeah. That's what I like about this is that they were healed, changed, saved, released, freed, and then they were filled with joy. And and I just thought that was so cool because, um, you know, these miracles came with this message. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we talk about um, a, a miracle without a message doesn't mean squat, yes. you know, because it's all tied together for the glory of God. And we're going to see what that means in the life of somebody in just a second here. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of leads us to, uh, you know, we were talking about, they, they were a little bit drifted theologically from the Orthodox Jews, the mm-hmm. Samaritans. And, uh, we see the evidence of that in this character, Simon, the sorcerer, yeah. who was a Samaritan. <laughs> He'd been doing a few magic tricks throughout the years. That's right. Yeah, uh, starting in Acts 8-9, we see this Simon character emerge, and we're told that he was formerly practicing magic in the city of Samaria, and pretty much everyone who witnessed his magic act was pretty impressed. Mm -hmm. Um, The key word that interests me right off the bat is formerly. 
the, the miraculous power of simply preaching the words of Jesus, I think, might have even halted the best con artist here just to get a second look of what's going on. I don't, I don't know if he halted because of the words being preached of Jesus or not, but it made me think. Yeah, it's that's a good question. But but yeah. here he was. I mean, he he had a big head about himself because um, he claimed that he was someone great. And then the people's response, even in verse 10, they think that he is the power of God. That's what yeah. they say. This man is the great power of God. Yeah, that, that's quite the thing to say, Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and he had a lot of prestige. Because he had, it says he had astonished them with his sorceries for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. But if someone really hears the unfiltered gospel the way that Simon did, they'll actually have to put in some effort to get out of their minds. And uh, that's precisely what was happening to all of the people who were hearing the gospel preached by Philip. And um, Simon was no exception. He was listening. Yes. And he, uh, he even believed and was baptized when hearing of the true power of God. Yeah. And, and it makes you wonder... Um, just in terms of like his nickname, Simon the Sorcerer, you kind of want to delve down into that hole of saying, was he a magician? Yeah. Was he good at sleight of hand? Was he a showman? Or was it actually what he was doing like fueled by demonic power? Yeah, like Balaam. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Was he? I guess you could bring Janus and Jambres in there too. I, I came up with that as well. Yeah, we, you got to ask the question because we, as we discussed with Balaam, there was fakes and there was real. Yes. So it makes you wonder if he wasn't a fake because later we see that he tried to acquire the real. Oh, okay. So I don't know, maybe, maybe yeah. not. Or maybe he just wanted a little more. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe he thought with whatever he could do, if he was doing it through the power of Satan, he saw what God could do. And he was like, there's no way I can come near that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's true. I don't know. Yeah. But, but we, we do see that Simon, he believed he was baptized and he continued to follow Philip after being baptized and was observing all of these signs, all these miracles along the way. And um, it, it was by this time, uh, the crowd started to become so great that word reached all the way back to the apostles, didn't it, Josh? Yes. Yeah, they were really excited about what was happening in Samaria to the point where they said, we need to go and see for ourselves. Yeah. And I thought this was really interesting. We we talked about how they stayed in Jerusalem. And um, there was just a lot of people that were like, well, why didn't they go out when the church was being persecuted? Uh, should they have fled? And I came across one th- interesting thing is that someone said, you know what happened is they said, we are going to stand fast. We fled when Jesus was being arrested that night in the garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. And they said, we're never going to flee again, even if it means our death. I could see it. Yeah. Well, and you know, we, there's a lot of what it could have should us out there, but the truth of the matter is all of these men, they were acting in accordance with what the spirit was leading them to do. Yeah, and Jerusalem was kind of the hub for Christianity and so they were they were kind of just being dispatched at times when they needed to do. You know, we saw Peter do it with Cornelius and the Gentiles and then of course he and John right here are coming now to Samaria. That's true. And uh, one thing I do want to touch on here is they send the apostles send Peter and John to them to pray for them 
to receive the Holy Spirit, it says. And just real quick, there's there's going to be people out there that give you uh, the perfect recipe for exactly how and when the Spirit is given. Mm. Um, this is one of many examples where it comes at a different point in some people's life than others. Yes, uh, These people were baptized into Jesus' name, but for whatever reason, the apostles needed to lay on hands for the Holy Spirit to fall. Yeah. Doesn't work that way in every case. No. So I just thought I'd point that out right here because there's there's some people that argue over that kind of stuff, but it it's various. It's how God wants to do it. Yeah. I started to go into this and look at it. And of course, I just talked about Cornelius and it, you remember in that story later on in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit actually fell before they were even baptized. Yeah. And so that's a kind of a flip-flop way. And, and there were several instances and schools of thought of why this was the way it was. And the most obvious one that was settled on was that God works how he works exactly. and it, there is no like to pinpoint a formula is actually just putting him in a box and saying it has to be like this. And, and I've seen some churches that adhere to that kind of thing. Yes. Whereas someone said in this, I found this interesting. I don't know if it's any, um, credence to it, but he said that he felt like, um, for John and Peter to come and for them, the Holy Spirit to fall when they did was actually uniting Samaritans and Jews in their faith and like bringing them back together um, and aligning oh, their yeah. theology together. Oh, I think uh, <laughs> God is, I mean, he calculates the perfect time to drop it. I know that. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And it was very interesting to old Simon the Sorcerer. Because he saw this great power, the Holy Spirit, being granted to people by the apostles by the laying on of hands. And something started a regression, I think, in his thinking oh, yeah. when he saw this. Yeah. I mean, he might have been on a good track at first, but when he when he saw this, something started clicking. His his old magic roots started coming back, I think. <laughs> and um, you know, he started to backslide a little bit, I think, in his thinking when he developed a selfish and evil ambition to acquire the Holy Spirit for profit. Yeah. I think he saw Peter and John laying hands on people and all of a sudden these Holy Spirit gifts that were given manifesting themselves like tongues or prophecy or healing. And he said, ooh, I could make some muns, hon. Yeah. <laughs> no more tricks. I want an illusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down this magic man just saw his empire expanding exponentially. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, th that's what he does. He he actually offers Peter and John money in order to gain the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Pete wasn't happy. No. I mean, we can say that at a bare minimum. He responds to Simon in verse 20, 23. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Ooh. I mean, Peter lays it out very clear. This is not correct. It's a powerful rebuke. Yeah, it really was. Did you actually catch the fact that his name got coined as a term and simony is now the buying of church offices or privileges? Um, it's making a profit out of spiritual things or sacred things. That's what the word simony means now. Oh, well, I did, I did not come across yeah. that. 
That, that's a bad thing when your name gets turned into something like that. <laughs> it is. I always wonder where I'm, you know, I'm Josh and your taters. What does that even mean? <laughs> Poor Josh, whoever started that one. I've always heard it Joshin, but I've never heard your taters. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I've heard it. <laughs> There's all sorts, you, you don't want your name, guys, turned into something like this. Yeah. And so you don't, I mean, Simon, he did something that, uh, that, that, that happened. So. Yeah. Well, and I love that Peter tells him, like, I mean, of course, it is a strong rebuke, but mm-hmm. he says, your heart is in the wrong place. Yeah. Repent, pray to God for forgiveness and for your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. And it's crazy where he goes, you have no part and portion in this. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he needed to get the point. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's pretty obvious that Simon at this point is terrified of the offense he's just committed, which I believe is a very healthy fear of God in this case. Um, Simon responds in verse 24, uh, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I mean, he gets what he did was wrong. And um, fear apart from reference can also be healthy. And I think that's just what Simon felt here. Hmm. So... Yeah, he gets the point. Yeah. Well, the sad thing is he he feels it, but he doesn't act on it. And it doesn't say, I'm going to pray to God. He says to Peter, you pray for me. Yeah. That freaked me out because, you know, of course, we go right into this question. And this is the, this is the question we'll never be able to answer for ourselves. But was Simon the sorcerer saved? I don't know. But, you know, you, you mentioned that you laid it out that way. And I couldn't help but think of... When God was quaking the mountain at Sinai, and they didn't want to talk to God themselves, they mm. wanted Moses to, and it didn't mean that they weren't saved. No, that's true. So I think of Simon, and maybe, maybe, maybe not, like you said, we don't know, but I like to think that he was, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, he had the appearance of a believer, enough to where Philip baptized him, Yeah, but... Like us today, we couldn't really see into his spiritual heart or anyone's to know with complete certainty that they're sincere. And yeah. and yet he had demonstrated enough um, to make his proclamation of faith credible. Uh, okay, so here's the thing that I've found is that when Peter says you have neither part nor portion in this matter, it's like silly sorcerer, Holy Spirit gifts are for kids, you know, for the kids of God. <laughs> yeah. And that, that the implication of that meant there was a lack of salvation. Yeah, you know? at that point. But then yes. then he, he replies, and, and I don't know, I, you know, I think that it's it's a good sign that he was afraid because there's certain really scary scriptures that a Christian even now can read in the book of Hebrews and stuff. And when you come to them, you get almost this fear come over you because you don't want to be in the wrong and you believe this God to be that righteous. Yes. So I think it's a good sign that he was afraid whether he ended up acting on that fear correctly. I don't know, but it's it's a scene. Because these are two of those truths that kind of hold each other in tension. Yeah. Because I feel like you're coming at it from one way and I'm coming at it from another. True. You know, when Peter says, you have no part in this, it's the same phrasing that Jesus used in the upper room Mm -hmm. when he was going around the room and he was washing their feet. Yeah. And Peter said, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't doing that to me. Yeah. And Jesus goes, if I don't wash you, then you have no part in me. Yeah. 
And so he was like, oh, Listen, yeah. you're not in this unless, yeah. you know, I found this quote. I thought it was interesting. Men may come very near. They may be intellectually convinced of the supremacy of Jesus. They may even decide that they will adopt his ethical ideal. They may go as far as to determine that they will imitate the perfection of his example. But these things do not make men Christians. Yeah. And that's, if you truly understand what Josh just said there, that's sobering. Yeah. Because, um, man, you talk about heart check territory. You've really got to struggle and wrestle with this. Is this real? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's a very snake birdie um, slope, isn't it? Yes. Did you, uh, did you go down the path of like what church history says happened after this? Well, I saw that they believed that there was a lot of uh, mystery, that, what is it, mystical school religions and stuff that kind of were birthed. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're talking about? So I found two schools of thought. Well, actually, I found three. Okay. Because one did say that he repented. Okay. And then another says that he went off the deep end and became a dangerous false teacher among early Christians. And then I guess the third school of thought drills down even further into that uh, is that he went insane and ended up burying himself alive, but not before he introduced the heresy of Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. So, wow. I mean, I you know all three could be true. Yeah, I, I mean, no, not at the same time. I, I I could see all three, I guess. Yeah, the, but, the um, possibility. Yeah, yeah. I guess it just it boils down to after Peter said, "You have no part." That next decision he made. Yeah. Did he decide to take a part from that point? I don't know. Well, and I think it is a sobering story because it shows how close a person can come to salvation mm-hmm. and possibly still not become converted. Simon heard the gospel, saw the miracles, and gave a profession of faith in Christ up to the point of baptism. And yet, was he never born again? We don't. We don't really know. Yeah. And this is where, as a as that sobering fact, we have to make sure that what we're doing is not behavior modification. Yes. That it's real. Yes. You know, because you can say I believe in the contents of that book, but not but not truly be yeah. converted well, by it. And then even the verse out there that says even the demons believe. Yes. You know, but what did it do to their heart? Does it institute change? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So true. So that, that's heart check territory, folks. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's Simon the Magic Man. Simon the Magic Man. And then we're going to get introduced, um, I guess, he, the Ethiopian next, right, Josh? Yeah. Which is a whole other story. Exactly, yeah. Better story, I think. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're continuing on in Acts chapter 8. Yeah, starting in verse 25. That's right. And we see um, that God sends word by angel to Philip, instructing him to hurry down to this desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And um, I get the impression that this is not a this is not a popular road. I don't know, <laughs> desert road. <that's> yeah, <laughs> desolate. Yeah. Well, I love that the, that same verse says this is desert. <laughs> and then if you look at like there's there's a little you know caption in the parentheses and you go down to like the more expanded translation and it goes this is a deserted place you know so it's not like the point yeah yeah (laughs) which i mean i find pretty fascinating because you know we'll talk about this especially as we get to the application part of it but you have a guy who um basically got railroaded out of town from Jerusalem because of the persecution. He went to a place where not a lot of people would have accepted him. And yet he had a, a very um, fruitful ministry among the, the half-breeds, the Samaritans. And he's successful there. And now all of a sudden God's like, 
let's go away from your success to where? The desert. Yeah, to this desert place. Yeah, and he doesn't tell him why. He just says, go. Yeah. Arise and go south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Yeah, which shows great faith on Philip's part. He, yeah. He doesn't ask why. He just gets up and he goes. And I found out that there's actually two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And you know what this one is? The much less used one. Yeah, the, the desolate place. <laughs> yeah, the one where the tumbleweeds, you know, you yeah. see one every once in a while and it's like, what are you doing here? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was probably a surprise to Phil. Well, not a surprise because he knew God initiated this, but he, uh, he sees an Ethiopian high-ranking official reading scriptures of uh, Isaiah. Yeah. Over there on this road. And it, it, it turns out that this Ethiopian, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way back home, returning, uh, when this encounter with Philip took place. Yes. And I want to point out that this Ethiopian, he's not from what we consider modern-day Ethiopia. It'd be more of a actually much larger city just south of Egypt. And this is where the Queen of Sheba came from. And it's oh. possible that even pieces of the Jewish faith were passed on uh, from person to person throughout the centuries since King Solomon. Oh, wow. Because she came to see him yeah. And, oh, yeah. and he was able That's to, right. dis like, she was like, I want to see the wisest man in the world. And he was able to interact with her. Yeah. And so uh, it turns out that he serves a woman named Candace. But that's just a, a term given to um, royalty mm -hmm. there in Ethiopia. Gotcha. Yeah, and he was he was the guy in charge of all the the treasury, and yes. he was an important official. Yeah, he's unique. Yeah, and he was. <laughs> and he's in, a eunuch. <laughs> yeah, I, I see you'd catch what that. you did there. No, right over my head. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's it's neat because he uh, he has a heart uh, to know God. Obviously, he's sitting there, he's reading uh, the scripture of Isaiah, and he he's uh he's gone to Jerusalem to worship and he's returning when they have this encounter like we said uh but one thing real quick that I want to uh, point out here is just how God uses us um w with Philip and I'm kind of going back a little bit but I can't help but think of like dispatch on the police radio seeing which officers in the area for like an attempted robbery yeah he's like 10-4 Maverick here I'm on it you know I, I just love that God sees this random Ethiopian and it's really not random at all because God is deeply aware of this soul mm. on this desert road reading and he's seeking God through the scriptures. And what do you know? Philip, the closest and most available servant in the area, responds to this angelic dispatch call coming to the aid of this soul. And it's just how God works. Yeah. And I just, I really, I thought it was something cool. And you just think of coincidences in our own lives. Um, things that someone was there for us at the perfect time when we needed to hear mm -hmm. something or vice versa, you were there for somebody. And I, I just, I find it fascinating how God uses us. And that's what he did here with Philip, with this desert, desolate road. No one's supposed to be there, but God orchestrates it. Yeah, it had to me a very Esther type of feeling. It's like you're here for such a time as this. Exactly. You know, who yeah. knows why God put you in this position? But yeah, uh, you know how we try to read scripture, and sometimes we read it, and if we're not careful, we can get very bogged down with some of the things, or we can look at it from a very cultural point of view. And for me, reading this story, at least this time around, I really tried to take a step back. And the more that I kind of let the let the details come in, the more like colorful the picture got to me. Because um, first of all, when when the angel says, you know, when the Holy Spirit prompts him and he says, "Go 
near and overtake this chariot. In my mind, I've often downplayed what this interaction was. To me, it's always been really as simple as a guy getting into like, I would say in modern times, a convertible car, you know, a carriage or a chariot and just talking. Mm -hmm. But as I imagined it, it probably was a lot more grand and opulent than that. He um, being like possibly even the second most powerful person in the in the nation of Ethiopia, he probably had an armed escort. Yeah. He probably had multiple servants walking aside. It's not like he's sitting there driving the chariot because later on we find out that he commands it to be stopped. And so... Um, it's probably riches and opulence. We find out that, like you said, he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Well, we have Bibles and we can go buy a Bible for a dollar at some places. It might not be the best Bible, but we could get that. Mm -hmm. You know, in order to have a scroll of Isaiah, it was a pretty penny. Yes, that's true. It was costly. And so anyway, it's just, it's kind of a neat, like when you start to unpack it and when you start to look at it from the way that God would have us to read scripture, this story gets a lot cooler as you're like, oh, imagining all the details. Yeah. And as you, even as you were describing that scene, I I think of, you mentioned earlier, somebody who has this intellectual knowledge and interest in, in God and Jesus and being saved. Mm -hmm. It seems like this Ethiopian, he was, he was there. He was trying to intellectually understand God sitting there. He just needed, he needed the introduction yeah the real introduction yeah and that's where philip comes and yeah no that's that's all fascinating um but so philip goes up to this ethiopian reading isaiah and he asks him do you understand what you're reading mm-hmm. i wonder how what the tone was when he asked him i mean i know it was a, a sincere tone but yeah it's just kind of neat he's like do you understand that he hears him reading it right yeah and culturally it was very common to read out loud Okay. So, I mean, as he's as he's rolling along, gotcha. you know, as he's brought something for the trip, you know, he's yeah. got he's got a book to pass the two hundred mile uh, yeah. road trip. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's got his DVD player rolling. <laughs> but you know, it, it would be tempting for someone of that stature um, to be. Of course, I do. Yeah, you know, I've got <laughs> reading it, aren't I? <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, but um, he doesn't respond that way. He says, "How can I understand unless someone explains it to me?" Mm. Which I thought, that's just so cool, oh, that man. response. It's perfect, isn't it? It's a heart of, I want to know. Teach yeah. me. Yeah. So that's really cool. And um, it's at that point that Philip's invited up onto the chariot where he then explains the scripture that was being read, which, I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. What better passage than Isaiah 53, the suffering servant? I mean, it's it's a passage that every Christian should know. And I'd just like to read it for you. It says right here in Isaiah 53, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom did this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about a segue. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, I don't know. I feel like he's presented the the golden opportunity platter right then. Like, ah, yeah. you know, it's yeah. singing. I think of have a ready defense. Yeah. If you mess this up, I mean, <laughs> you really got to work on your it's, presentation. It's a fastball stuck over the plate, just begging. Yeah. You hit the sucker. Yeah. I mean, he just, he straight up asked the perfect question because Jesus had just died on the cross, just started all this, which I wonder, 
I wonder if this eunuch had even heard of what had happened with Jesus, because that's almost like a silly question if right. you were in the region. Yeah. But he, he, whether it be he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time or not, God made sure he was in the right place at the right time yes. at this point. Yeah, he brought an evangelist. Yes. I yeah. mean, for real. He really did. And uh, he explains it to him. And uh, it, the gospel, it obviously it clicks in the Ethiopian's mm. head because he, I mean, he just he instantly looks out the window. He's like, there's water. What prevents yeah. me from being baptized exactly, right now? Exactly, right? Yeah. And th- this is where it invokes scriptures like 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then like you just referenced 1 Peter three fifteen, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense for everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear because he had it like you said i mean like christ was on the tip of his tongue he was ready to preach jesus at any moment yeah and so the ethiopian received and then you said he saw water outside of his chariot and he's like what what would stop me yeah and philip replies if you believe with all your heart Let's do it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Paraphrased. I, I love, well, I love what he says. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I mean, no hesitation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, boy, is that the perfect criteria? Yeah. And so Philip's like, all right, you know, the, the chariot was ordered to stop the Ethiopian uh, so he could get baptized and uh, which is just an amazing scene. I don't, I obviously don't want to skip over it too quickly because what happens next is very cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just an amazing scene. The gospel clicks. His life is changed in a moment's notice and he's baptized and he's so excited. It's mm-hmm. just great. Yeah. And then even church history says that he made it home and actually started a church. And I totally believe that. Yeah. Because there's so many interesting things um, just about how the gospel got over there. Yeah. You know that they the Ethiopians now claim to have the Ark of the Covenant? I did not know that. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't open it or you'll melt your faces off. Yeah, don't, don't you do it. <laughs> <laughs> totally off topic, but the other day I saw a, um, like, I don't know if it was Nat Geo or what, but they did like a blood test of the Ethiopians and found like actual ancient Jewish blood tied to them. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's just a whole piece of side talk. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, it's always intrigued me how the gospel got over there. <laughs> Think. Solomon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man, that's Sorry, great. That's terrible. Okay. So, can I can I make a quick admission before we get to this part? Yes. Yeah, you said is really cool. Um, since there is that spiritual, like the Holy Spirit's moving in a fantastical way. I always thought when when he was prompted to run and catch the chariot that maybe there was that vibe of him like having super speed too, you know, of him like sonicking over there (laughs) to catch the chariot. And I I don't think that's the case now, but I always thought that was really cool because there were instances in the Bible where like um, when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and all of a sudden Ahab is going to ride down and, and, the Lord says, you meet him there beforehand. And somehow Ahab has a chariot and Elijah's on foot and he makes it to this further place yeah. before him. I don't know if all of a sudden God's just like, boom or what. Beam you know? me up, Scotty. Yeah, there's a couple instances <laughs> where he seemed to have pretty good uh, travel speed. Yeah. So some anyway. Some whole angels in the outfield stuff right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had some holy sandals. That's great. Yeah. 
Well, that's, you know, that's uh, definitely the territory we're about to get into because um, in Acts 8, 39 and 40, it says this. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, if I said that right, (laughs) and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Okay, so, I mean, what a thing to have happened. Yeah. Philip rising out of the water just as the spirit enters the Ethiopian. It sidekicks Philip into a wormhole, takes him 30 miles away from Gaza (laughs) to Azotus, where at that point he just goes on and keeps preaching the word. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, just... Obviously, that's just my my view of what happened there. But yeah, he snatched him away. Yeah. That, That is something to ponder. Well, there's some of Elijah vibes right there. Yes, there is. Because I think it's a scripture in First Kings. Uh, I want to say that somebody is talking to Elijah and they, they say, um, well, if I come to find you and the spirit of the Lord is taking you somewhere else, you know, there is uh-huh. that whole like all of a sudden God just comes and I don't know if it's a tornado or what, but just bam, and transported. E- and Enoch. Yes. Oh, yeah. Enoch, for so, sure. Yeah, which there's, that's a whole, that you know, some people believe those are going to be the two prophets that come exactly. back. Because they didn't die. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, but it's um, it's just so cool to, to uh, I mean, this isn't a fairy tale. God, no. God snatched the, Philip away. Yeah. And man, just to think of what that would have been like. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The first thing I thought about when I read that was uh, one, I can't remember what Nintendo system it was, but it's when Mario gets taken by the tornado. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, the flute. Totally. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, that's right. It is the flute. Super Mario 3. (laughs) You knew it. I'm not a geek. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thing I thought about when it said dumb, but yeah. (laughs) You know, that word that uh, it says in the Lord caught up Philip, it's that harpazo word, which, um, you know, in. You talk about in uh, First Thessalonians, it says, and we will be caught up. In yeah, the, that's the, the whole rapture the Lord. Yeah, and everything. It's the rapture word. So Yeah, it's so cool. And I, I man, that's just so much to ponder. Yes. It really is. And um, so after Philip is, uh, actually, real quick side note here. I have it kind of down in my notes, but I'll mention it here. Just after this thing with the Spirit happened, snatching Philip away to his mission field, um, Paul is miraculously blindsided about 150 miles away as he approached Damascus. This this was a busy week, spiritually speaking. Yeah, I mean, God was like dispatching these spiritual things all over the mm-hmm. map. Yeah, but that was uh, as far as chronology and acts. That's the next thing that happened yes. right after this. Yeah. So I I kind of that kind of triggered my memory. I was like, I wonder what God man the spiritual realm must have been crazy right. Yeah, in that time. Exactly. Anyway, back to the story. Um, Philip he's beamed uh, to Azotus. Am I saying? that right i think so cool i know you have that fancy website that, that <laughs> phonetically corrects you well i said some greek words earlier that i listened to them and i am not saying them anywhere like that professional guy says them and so, so i don't accept that <laughs> that's not the pronunciation i'm going yeah with. that's funny it's a cool word yeah but he uh he keeps preaching the word throughout some of the cities until he lands in caesarea and that um from what i studied uh, and saw in scripture it seems to be where he ended up playing his long-term pegs yes. uh, for ministry. For at least 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. And Caesarea, it's an important Roman port. It's an artificial port that um, Augustine had come in and worked on. And it was the headquarters of the Roman administration for Judea and Samaria. And of course, it's Caesarea, so it's named after Caesar. 
And while it's in um, Israel, it's heavily, heavily uh, Roman influenced. And, you yeah. know, that's where Pontius Pilate decided to have his headquarters when he wasn't required to be in Jerusalem for any of the things. He was like, I don't want to be down here. Yeah. I want to be at my beach house. And that's precisely from what I gather that it was a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was like Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, for them, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's what you can compare it to. But yeah, but it had it had place. aqueducts and it had all kinds of really neat things. Yeah. Well, I plant my pegs there too. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start saying plant my pegs. <laughs> where where can I set my pegs? That's funny. <laughs> well, it's just that that's very fortunate for Philip that God led him to to plant them there. Yes, because it's a beautiful place. Yeah, and what's so cool is. A lot of times you have a story or a character in a Bible story and then their story ends and you never see them again. Yeah. You know, unless Paul is saying goodbye to them or greeting <laughs> them in one of his epistles. True. Yeah. yeah. And we, I mean, Philip's last appearance in Acts is uh, chapter 21. Yeah. Eight, where we do see him again. Exactly. His story continues. Yeah. Was this 20 years? How long was this from the last time we heard from him? Did you? Did so this is twenty years. This later. This is twenty years later. Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, that kind of confirms my suspicion that he was just man. And we know that anyway. But he was in it for the long haul. Exactly. He uh, he didn't consider that time in Jerusalem when he was first selected as the seven as time served. No. He went on in the spirit and and went on to do. Uh, great things that yes. we see. And yeah. raised a godly family, as we will see here. Exactly. Yep. Um, we see uh, toward the end of Paul's third missionary journey that he stayed with Philip and his four daughters in Caesarea. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was obviously known uh, by the early Christians well enough to be considered kind of, I guess, a safe house in Caesarea, a place to go. Yeah. Um, with these, he had four virgin daughters. And uh, curious to me, We've already encountered in other episodes that many accuse the Bible of being sexist, but we see time and time again that God chooses who he will use regardless of our constructs. And we find out that these girls were prophetesses. Yes. Which is, what does that mean, Josh? Uh, they were able to speak the word of God or even proclaim possibly the future. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that we found out that prophecy can mean, Yeah. but it's usually declaring the words of God. You just say that. And I was like, dude, why didn't I, I, I should have looked up if it was the prophetess or prophetea word. Cause it, oh, we, okay. in our spiritual gifts, there's the two ones. Yes. I wonder yeah. which one it uses for those. Yeah. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> yeah. This was towards the end of my study. I ran out of time. No. Dude, I was honestly, there's so much to take away from this story. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you talked about it already. I just find it so cool that, I mean, we find that he's an elder there at the church in Caesarea and he settled into a hometown and got used by God. And then he's offering this house of hospitality. And then he has a house of spirituality because hospitality, we don't know his situation. Uh, It doesn't mention his wife. So we don't know if she's present or possibly if she's passed on or um, if they have a lot of room or if it's a tight cramped space, but he said, come on in, you know, and there's a lot that the Bible says about hospitality, about um, just being hospitable and, and saying, Hey, if you want to come over and just talk about God, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, application about saying that's why we, we need to, as Christians be hospitable to show, uh, our Christianity off to people, not 
you know, it's not blatantly like show yes. it off, but it's like be an example for it for our kids and whatnot. Oh yeah, I know what you mean for sure. And you know, I've heard sometimes I've heard some people say, you know, that things were different back then. You can't just invite people in your house these days. Uh, I beg to differ. Yeah, um, the things in many cases were much worse. Back yes, then. and so it's whether now or then. Obviously, we use discernment. We do. We act according to the spirit, not just. Um, uh, just out of the blue, not thinking, but uh, things were just as dangerous then as, as they are now. And for him to invite people in like that, that was a risk, but he was willing to do it for, for the kingdom. Well, considering that some cultures, the way that you worshiped their God, their deity was through a sexual nature. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it mentions that he has four virgin, virgin daughters, daughters in yeah. this really ungodly climate. I mean, that's yeah. a testimony. Yeah, and for them to be true prophetesses, yeah, if I said that right, they uh, that that speaks to a, a, some godly daughters raised in, in an environment like that, right? Virgin prophetesses, you know, it's <laughs> prophet. I keep that stuttering me. Prophetesses, prophetesses. No, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Girls who could prophesy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it really speaks to because uh, it it's hard to raise good godly kids yes. these days. I mean, yeah. we see it. Uh, you don't have to have kids and know that, but man, if you've got kids, you know it's hard. We're battling so much to raise godly kids, and Philip, four daughters. Yeah. And so that's that's a really neat thing to see. That's I just so appreciate this two-verse window into their lives 20 years later to just show that he hadn't burned out, he yeah. hadn't petered out. He's still moving faithfully as that evangelist that God had started him off on that path to be. And, and uh, it even says that he was one of the seven, you know, yeah. I mean, that's so cool, you know, that they just recognized yeah. those were the guys that were raised up kind of like deacons. Yeah. I mean, they the were the first, yeah, yeah. they first were the front line. Yeah, exactly. So cool. You said petered out. That's another instance of using someone's name. Oh, where did yeah. That, where did that one come from? I wasn't joshing. <laughs> <laughs> did that come from the scene where Paul had to call Pete out? I, that's a good question. <laughs> At first I started typing pewter out because i thought that was the 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 terminology and i googled it and it was like no it's petered out you (laughs) you fool (laughs) oh goodness yeah thank you google yeah well that um that's the last uh, instance I found of Philip Josh. Is there any any more history or anything else that we that we got on him? Well, I keep getting to talk about church history, but there's a couple different ones. Um, according to Greek tradition, he became the bishop of Tralles, which, if that's true, it's pretty wild because it's about um, a 1,700 kilometer uh, walk or. Uh, 1,050 if you convert that into freedom miles. <laughs> I was going to say, let's go miles here. We need to be speaking American in America. <laughs> okay. Um, that's 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 a pretty big walk. Um, so it's possible that he became the Bishop of Tralles. Uh, another said that, I, I didn't even say that right when that's I was trying to write Texan the joke. That's how a Texan would say, out yonder. Yeah, convert that to freedom. <laughs> that's what I, I heard that the other day. <laughs> convert that to freedom. Yeah, that is- because it was in like leaders and whatnot, and they were like, "Oh, here's gallons." <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, another said that at the outbreak of the Romano-Jewish War, um, when the Jews revolted in 66 AD, Philip and his four daughters were able to escape to Heropolis, where a church that's celebrating his martyrdom can still be seen today. 
Okay. So what was I, the name of that town? Uh, Hierapolis. Hierapolis. Her- like it's a lot of fervor in that place. <laughs> <laughs> it's where the '80s started the hair bands. I nice. don't know. I'm not sure. I, you know, this is one of those um, footnotes on some of these. And yeah, I mean, with church history, when you talk about even, you know, we said about can the Bible be trusted? And for a historian to keep track of just a single Jewish man was a pretty big deal. Yes. You know, and some of these guys, you have varying stories. I I think if this one is saying that a church is is claiming Philip as one of their, um, I guess, uh, attendees or yeah. even um, Bishop. elders, bishops, yeah. then it's, there's a possibility. Well, you know, uh, extra biblical sources can be very powerful. They can it's, it's not like you can't touch them with a 10-foot pole. No, absolutely not. So, But um, yeah, that's really neat. And we've mentioned this with several of our characters so far, a bishop. What would what would the title of a bishop be in a church? Because like there's elders, deacons, bishops, are they all kind of the same thing? Uh it depends. I think it's a lot of times either a pastor or it's a pastor of pastors. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, well, I mean. I haven't actually, you know, looked into that title, so I figured. It just depends. Yeah. I mean. You're the one with the degree in theology, <laughs> so I figured I'd ask you. <laughs> there's there's a possibility that he was like overseer of several synagogues yeah. or, is a pastor, or the, there's a possibility that he was just a pastor of a congregation. He definitely had a history in overseeing because he was selected at the beginning. That's you know, right. So that would make yeah. sense. Goes back to administration. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine that you have uh, some closing statements. I know I sure do. Yeah. Uh, there's so much to take away from this guy. Exactly. Why don't you kick us off? Okay. Well, I I noticed three um, things uh, that I really took away from from this study. Uh, number one, availability, which I've mentioned mm. in others. Um, number two, persistence. And number three, being full of the Spirit. And the, my main my main one was being full of the Spirit. But um, uh, do you want me to hit all three of mine, Josh? Or? Yeah, why don't you? And then okay. I'll go through what I got. Okay, so um, availability. And I know it's something we've mentioned several times throughout. But um, it's something that, that's frequent, and we need to keep bringing it up. Uh, from the very beginning where they were choosing the seven, Philip was not aspiring to be one of the seven. Hmm. He was just obeying God. And he um, he was there. He was obedient and available to the workings of God's will, uh, which led him naturally to being chosen by his peers through God's guidance. So availability, that's one that keeps coming up. Uh, number two, persistence. Uh, throughout Philip's story, we can see that while the roller coaster of life took him here and there, he did a lot of things, went a lot of places. He always found a way to pursue the command of spreading the gospel. Uh, when persecution hit soon after becoming one of the seven, he didn't, like I said, he didn't just consider his time back at Jerusalem as time served. Yeah. He, um, he persisted in the kingdom, which led him to the Ethiopian and uh, led him to eventually raise uh, four godly daughters in a pivotal home ministry in Caesarea. So uh, persistence, that's uh, number two. And the, the real, the real thing that stood out to me, uh, is being full of the Spirit. And God really laid this one on my heart. Uh, I'm 34 years old, and I was raised my entire life by leaders in the church, missionaries, preachers, elders, and servants. And throughout my years observing both the shepherds and the sheep, I have seen a lot of people that were available and persistent. Mm. But I've not seen a lot of people filled with the Spirit. Not full of the Spirit. There's a difference. Um, don't misunderstand, because I've definitely seen Christ's Spirit in people, 
but I have not seen a lot of people who are full of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, I actually tried very hard to recall people I've met who I did witness that were full of the Spirit. And I can think of less than 10 various individuals um, in one family. And this, this family uh, was a mom and dad with about three or four older kids that I encountered when I was 19. And they lived in Alabama. And I was super blessed to be able to stay with them for a whole week. But I will never forget the time I spent with this family because before this moment, I had never before met somebody full of the Spirit. Oh, wow. And every single person in this family was full of the Spirit. I mean, it was so noticeable. And you might say, well, you were with them for a week. You, they could have been wearing a mask. Um, there's, there's no way. God's Spirit was pouring out of every move they made. It was incredible. I'd never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even wrote a song about this experience with this family and just encountering a group of people for one week who were full of the Spirit was amazing to me. And to this day, that one week encounter affects me in how I understand who and what God does and can do through people who truly receive His Spirit fully. Yeah. It really, it really made an impact on me. So uh, if there's anyone listening out there who feels God's Spirit growing inside, I want to tell you a, a few things. Number one, you're going to experience something very strange if you want to be full of God's Spirit, if you want it to grow to its fullest. You're going to experience the most fulfilling yet lonely road at the same time. Uh, lonely because you won't find a lot of people who will be as heart, mind, and soul connected to God but the most well-known and fulfilling experience because you have that connection with God. Mm. Um, So my advice to to that person is the same as Paul told Timothy. Uh, Don't let others be in charge of your emotions. There's going to be people who see this radiant reflection of Christ in your life, and they're going to try to quench the spirit. And um, why? Probably jealousy. Mm. But um, with, with all that is in me, I beg you to remain in this condition that growth can be fed. And only God and you can maintain this condition through how well and often you communicate. Lastly, place yourself alongside this crowd that will try to drag you down and make you feel so lonely and shine that joy inside you like there's no tomorrow because they will remember you more than you could ever know. Just like that family that I ran into, um, I will never forget them. And they made a major impact just by me watching them. Yeah. So uh, my plea is to be full of the Spirit. And uh, I've got to say, I've attempted to find happiness in many different things in my life, but there's no comparison to the joy that you're going to find from being full of God's Spirit. So that's the main thing I saw in this story. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of that scripture that says, be full of the Holy Spirit or be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the implication in the Greek is actually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like it's mm-hmm. a consistent thing. Yes. Like it's it's like a gas tank in a car. You don't just put gas in it one time and then, you know, drive till it's empty and it, and it keeps going. I mean, it's a constant thing where we have to be refilled and, mm-hmm. and ask the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us. And, exactly. you know, Jim Sabala did that fresh wind, fresh fire kind of mm-hmm. you know, teaching. I thought that was really awesome. So that's what you... Um, were kind of reminding me of as you were saying that. So, I guess that's the that's the whole progressive sanctification. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and that family probably they were just constantly being filled with God's Holy Spirit, and it just mm-hmm. shone out of the radiated oh, out of them. Yeah, yeah. I've know. never seen anything like it. Yeah, to this day. Yeah, well, praise the Lord. That's yeah. pretty awesome. It really was. You know, for me, as I saw just a few things that I would like to say is that some people aspire to be like Paul the Apostle. 
And some people aspire to be like Peter, and maybe they say that they're more Peter post Jesus's crucifixion, where it's like <laughs> I got foot and mouth disease, you know. But yeah. maybe they aspire to be like Peter post resurrection, or even James, the the really direct um, uh, writer, you know, who was like, I'm just going to tell you like it is. Or even John, to where it's like just just love one another, you know. But I would consider it a huge honor to have our lives compared to that of Philip the evangelist. Because when you think about it, Philip was the perfect person to reach the people he reached. And I want to say that you are the perfect person to reach the people in your sphere of influence. Philip is such a great example of someone used by God to reach people. A Greekish Jew, he was a Hellenist, sent to hated half-Jews, Samaritans, leading an African eunuch to Jesus <laughs> and ending up in Caesarea, a heavily influenced Roman city, where he continued to make an impact for the kingdom of God by raising a godly family. I mean, can you... Can you imagine that? Yeah. This is the this is the dude, you know? And it reminded me of even like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. It says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And I couldn't help but starting to think of like small groups. And um, Proverbs 27, 23 says, be sure to know the condition of your flock. Give careful attention to your herds. And we change that word um, to the people like that you would reach out to your, we'll call them your few. Be sure that you know the condition of your few. Give careful attention to your few. And I would encourage you, like Philip, find the people that God's calling you to reach. Find your few. No one knows, and, and you can insert who you know here, um, moms, daughters, dads, sons, business people, gym rats, nerds, CEOs, students, uh, farmers, gamers, anybody nobody knows them like you do because of the position that god's put you in and no one can reach out to them like you can i you know for us we need to look at who we surround ourselves with or who we can surround ourselves with that we can influence and for 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 philip he was a greek jew and yet he said I'm already looked down upon as it is. I can go to these Samaritans who are going to be looked down upon by other Jews, who they call them dogs, and I'm going to be able to reach them. And then God, like you said, God knew, you know, he looked at his, um, he looked through his Rolodex and he's like, who do I have on deck? You know, and he picked out Philip to go to this eunuch and, and he knew the situation that was going to work. And so I thought we are called for a reason and we can reach the people that we can reach for that reason. And so, you know, always have that gospel ready in your heart to share with those folks. And then, like you said, his availability, he had a heart for service and people recognized it and then he was used. And then one of the last things I'll say is that sometimes God is going to call you to do something either uncomfortable, unusual, or unfamiliar. And he like Philip, he just, he was obedient mm -hmm. and he left the comfort of a thriving ministry to go to the desert yeah. and then to catch the chariot of a foreign dignitary, possibly dodging guards and servants because he was obeying the voice of God and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think of a friend of mine who was at a thriving ministry in Southern California. And he said, I'm going to go start a church in Montana. And everybody looked at him and was like, don't do this. I mean, he had several people knocking his door down saying, if you do this, God is God's blessing is not going to be upon you. Oh wow! And now up there, he's, he started this church and it, and it's slow and it went, you know, it seemed like it was like, well, this was a good idea. Now 
because of satellites and like satellites, uh, churches and everything, he has like 20 churches in seven different states that they meet all together and they're all considered one body of believers. That's cool. And the ministry that impact that he's had from that move has been really super effective. And yet he had people in the name of Jesus saying, God told me to tell you not to go. Yeah. And so, I mean, Philip could have believed the hype. He could have believed the posters that Pastor Philip, the evangelist, is here, you know, for a five night engagement and all this. But instead of that, instead of believing the hype, he said, I'll go. Yeah. Because God will find somebody and he wants it to be you. He wants you to be available. And then, okay, I said that was the last thing. I'm going to say this one last thing. You know, it's no small calling to raise your family in faith. You know, we find that 20 years later, Philip has been faithful to God. He's an elder at the church in Caesarea. And look what has been the fruit of that. He has four daughters who have kept themselves pure and who are able to speak the word of God in some form or another. And we know that raising a godly family is not a guarantee of the path that your kids are going to take but you're going to miss 100% of the shots you never take because it may not guarantee their path, but it could establish their feet on that path. And even if they wander, a lot of times God will bring that to remembrance going, hey, do you remember what mom and dad said? Do you remember how you were raised? Yeah. You know, and so I just, I don't have kids. I know you do. Yeah. But. uh, Oh, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. If, If you're a parent out there, let me tell you, raising a godly family for one, it's not easy no. with what we're against. Uh, but two, the, don't look at, at big you know, pastors and ministries and stuff as something big in the kingdom and raising a godly family yes. is small. Because there is, I mean, that is a great ministry. It's a high calling. It really is a high calling. So yeah. um, I... We, we could put even more <laughs> emphasis on that. Well, and we hope to do family like a snake bird or parenting like a snake bird here yeah. in, you know, the future. Not yeah. not too far off, but Yeah. So true. Very good. Yeah. So Philip the Evangelist, a lot more to his story, a lot more colorful than I ever thought it would be. Yeah, me too. Even though he wasn't a tetrarch. <laughs> <laughs> or or the, the father of Alexander the Great. Yeah, yeah. Or the son of what either one. I don't remember what you said. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had plenty, plenty to take away from. Yeah. Such a such a cool character. And we hope that you really like this profile. We're gonna continue doing profiles right now. We've kind of jumped into um, covering an old testament and then a new testament and back and forth. And so our next one in a few weeks we'll be jumping back into the old testament. And I think we've already landed maybe on a pair of brothers. I can't even remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell me after the recording. <laughs> maybe we had this conversation in my head. <laughs> oh, what goodness. kind of ice cream did you want? Maybe no. I was blowing my nose when you told me. <laughs> so, but yeah, we'll be in the yeah. Old Testament. That much we know. Yeah. So I hope this really um, resonated with you. I hope this application is going to affect you. And, you know, we want to hear your story. If um, if what we've said about Philip has resonated and, and struck a chord with you, please uh, communicate with us. Let us know um, what you're thinking and and if there's somebody that you would love us to profile from the Bible, because this is definitely one of my favorite segments. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, we really encourage y'all to reach out to us with um, comments, uh, requests, all of that, prayer requests. I mean, reach exactly. out to us. Yeah. And uh, if this uh, podcast is helping you guys, um, chances are it will uh, someone that you know, friends or family. And we, uh, we would ask that you could share the podcast with them. And if that's not really your style, uh, one way you can really help us out more than you know is to give us a good rating and review. Uh, if you could do that, that really helps push our, our podcast out there to more people to spread the gospel. So yes. we encourage that. There's algorithms or some kind of long word. Yeah, we, <laughs> we've, we've heard that it helps. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. And and like Stephen said, prayer requests would be amazing. We, we want to connect with you. We want to pray for you. We want to know what's going on. And if you're in the area and you need help during um, just any of this new season yeah you know we want to be able to reach out as well yeah absolutely so So. please reach out to us yes all right i think that's our profile uh always remember whatever you do wherever you go no matter what life throws at you there's never been a better time to follow the words of jesus be like philip the evangelist and be be a snake snake bird. bird